Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R. I also want to let you know that I do another podcast that goes back, way back to the 1980s, and that's kind of fitting for what I'm going to be reviewing today. Films of the 1980s, it is called Around the World in 80s Movies. Just search for it wherever you're listening to this right now, and you'll probably find it. I just covered a bunch of the breakdancing and hip-hop movies of the 1980s, and if you're interested in that, I do encourage you to check out the latest few episodes. And for those of you listening to this well after the fact, it's around episode 60. Today, we're going to be covering a movie that actually is set in the 1980s, 1987 specifically. It is called Bumblebee. It was released in 2018, of course. It is a spin-off, maybe even a reboot of some sort of the Transformers series. There were five Transformers films directed by Michael Bay. This one is set more in the past, although it doesn't necessarily completely agree with some of the facts that you learn in that other series, the main series. It's a PG-13 rated film. It does have sequences of sci-fi action violence. The runtime is an hour and 54 minutes, which makes it the shortest of the Transformers films thus far. Haley Steinfeld is the main star. George Lindeberg Jr., John Cena, Jason Drucker, Pamela Adlon, and a bunch of others are in the film. Angela Bassett, Dylan O'Brien, Justin Taro, and Peter Cullen do some voice work here. The director is Travis Knight. That makes a big departure from Michael Bay. Uh, the screenplay is credited to Christina Hodson. Now, this is the first time in the six films in the franchise thus far that the reins of a Transformers flick, at least of these live-action ones, has been given to someone whose name is not Michael Bay. In the case of the spin-off prequel and likely continuity reboot, if successful, Bumblebee, this person now in charge is Travis Knight. He's the director responsible for the wonderful stop-motion animation film from a couple of years ago called Kubo and the Two Strings. He's here working with a script from Christina Hodson. Knight doesn't really hit a home run again, I think, with his sophomore effort. I mean, this is not as good as Kubo and the Two Strings by any stretch. But... The bar for entertainment in the Transformers series is sufficiently low enough that I think most viewers are going to come away pleasantly surprised with the results that he turns in here, and perhaps many will also feel it is the best film in the Bayformers series altogether, and in my opinion, by quite a large margin. This time out, the character of Bumblebee ends up going back to his original look from the toy line and the cartoon series of a Volkswagen Beetle when he's in disguise mode. When he arrives on Earth back in 1987 as part of this last-minute escape plan for the Autobots on Cybertron to find an inhabitable planet as theirs is about to be destroyed in an all-out civil war with the Decepticons, Bumblebee ends up emerging in California, where his dormant state of the beetle laying in rust in a junkyard, he's there in hiding after being hunted by Sector 7, which is this government agency who first discovers him. He ends up drawing the eye of a troubled teenage girl named Charlie Watson, played by Haley Steinfeld. She views the car as freedom and an opportunity to follow in her recently deceased father's footsteps by repairing two damaged precious things, the car and herself. Now, in the process of repairs, the robot in disguise known as Bumblebee reveals himself to be a shape-shifting robot who has lost his ability to speak his vocal component that was taken away in a battle with these two Decepticons who also travel to Earth to destroy him and every other threat that they perceive necessary for them to eventually colonize the planet. 
have to get rid of humans in the process, but the humans who are helping them don't really know that. Steinfeld here, she makes for a solid protagonist for this series. She has a wonderful acting range, as has been established in so many other films that she's been in. She doesn't get lost in the shuffle of the popcorn sci-fi actioner as so many other actors have done, and she's likable without being overly cartoonish. Her connection to the robot Bumblebee is crucial for the film to work, and it's to her credit that she finds the right tone, especially because she could not act against the finished product comprised completely of CG elements when she was doing her live-action scenes. Lendenberg plays for a fine sidekick known as Memo, and he's a potential love interest, although the feelings are uncertain if they go in both directions, at least at this time. And that adds to the human dimension that might have been sorely lacking if we just had Robot Mayhem on the screen. The CG work in Bumblebee is excellent. It blends in the live-action elements without a lot of notice. So much so that if you're a viewer, you may not even stop to consider how well it integrates the live-action and the CG. But unlike entries in the main Transformers series, the action sequences are the culmination of the plot elements set up from the beginning, instead of just having plot elements there to set up those prolonged robot-smash-robot action sequences that go on for 20 or 30 minutes at a time. And what makes Bumblebee better than your run-of-the-mill Michael Bay Transformers film is that it is cohesive, it's watchable, it's sometimes even engaging. We have not gone so far as to actually care a great deal about the characters per se, but at least they aren't grading to the point where we hope that we never see them again. If there's a sequel to Bumblebee that features these same characters, I would be genuinely interested in seeing that, even though I'm not a fan of the other Transformers films by a long shot. And that's refreshing. If you're like me and you consider every single human character in the main series to be annoying to the extreme and largely uninteresting to follow, this does bode well for the series as it proceeds forward, if it proceeds forward. Bumblebee takes advantage of the period of the 80s. It features tropes from well-known movies of the area. Obviously, I'm very (laughs) familiar with films of the 1980s, and this felt very much in keeping with a lot of those in many respects. A sentient VW bug, that's been done before in films. Immediately, it makes you think of the Herbie films, the love bug films that come to mind. If you're an older viewer, that's probably what you think of first. If you're a little bit younger, maybe even in my generation or Generation X or younger, you'll probably draw comparisons to other 1980s-era films like E.T., Flight of the Navigator, and the slew of misfit child bonding with an other to try to find meaning in a world that doesn't really much understand either of them. As with other films of the decades, adults here are pretty useless. They're embarrassingly out of touch or they're threatening. And really, only other misfits are going to truly understand the plight of the protagonists enough to assist them, and that happens in this film. A lot of tropes here. As there is a familiarity to the overall story, especially in the wake of other similar movies. Recently, Big Hero 6 is something it reminded me a lot of. If you're a fan of the Iron Giant from the late 1990s, definitely there are some echoes here. The only thing that really makes it remarkable, I think, is the fact that it is a Transformers franchise film, and that deviates from the standard formula of a Transformers movie. So along those lines, it's kind of refreshing, even though There's nothing really within Bumblebee that is breaking any molds of cinema altogether. Now, beyond my perpetual pet peeve of aliens understanding and speaking English as their main language before ever making contact with Earth, I think the one thing I didn't quite understand in Bumblebee is this notion that the VW Beetle is a piece of junk and an eyesore to everyone else. I mean, having nearly been the same age as Charlie back in 1987, I can assure you that just having a car was a cool thing just to have one at all. 
And the classic VW was a very cool car to own on top of that, even if it wasn't in tip-top condition. I don't think anybody was expecting young kids in a small town to have the best vehicle available. I think the only misstep in my estimation is this final transformation involving Bumblebee at the end of the film. I think if you know the Michael Bay Transformers films, you know what I'm talking about. Tries to tie in this spinoff with the series at large, somewhat established by Charlie's connection with a certain type of car. As the film doesn't quite jibe with information that we learned from the Michael Bay series, for instance, it was established that Bumblebee had come to Earth much earlier than the 1980s in those Bay films. There really isn't a strong need for this tie-in, especially in a sequel set 20 years prior to the events of 2007's Transformers. So if they're not really going to adhere to the continuity of the original Transformers series, I don't see any need to completely adhere to it altogether. The song selection here, as you would expect, it's a jukebox of 1980s hits. It's generally great. I mean, it's mostly because we've had more than enough separation from the decade of the 1980s to know which are the songs that are considered to have stood the test of time. It kind of mocks some of those that haven't. There's plenty of homage to The Smiths in particular. The Smiths were considered more of an alternative or a niche band at that time in the 1980s, but they've amassed a much larger following in the years since to the point where they have a lot of fans who didn't even grow up in the era that love their music. There are a few anachronistic elements that are employed here that take you out of the film. If you know the era, for instance, when Rob Bass's and DJ Easy Rock's It Takes Two came on, I thought for sure that was not done in 1987 because I don't remember that in high school. I remember that in college, and it did. It came out a year after the film is set. Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. That really smacks of right in 1988 when I was on the verge of graduating high school. That really was not released in the United States until 1988. It was released in Europe. I don't think that she listened to it on the radio or what have you, and I certainly don't think it would be as meaningful in terms of the joke that's presented from a meta standpoint for this setting. Some of the dialogue uses modern terms not exactly known back then either. You catch some of the slang. It really doesn't smack of the slang that... I or any of my friends used back then, they really seem to be very much of a more modern area. I'll give you an example. The word carjacking, I I believe that started really much more in the 1990s than it was the 1980s. Now, is Bumblebee going to be the much-needed injection of adrenaline into this sputtering franchise to keep it going for another five films, I think? Only time is going to tell. Perhaps if Travis Knight was going to be on board or they actually get a slew of other directors of his caliber, they could really do something with it. If Michael Bay comes back to the series, I would consider it pretty much DOA after that. At least Transformers fans, if you're a longtime Transformers fans of the original toy line and the original cartoon series and the original comic books, you're finally here having a live-action film that seems to be made by people who actually enjoy those as their favorite toy characters and their cartoons and their comic book counterparts from the 1980s instead of made by someone or people who view them as silly or in need of a major overhaul just to put explosions and destruction at the forefront. I think Bumblebee separates itself from those other films. Unlike being a robot in disguise, this is more like a robot that has humanity in disguise. So I'm going to give Bumblebee, a recommendation of three stars out of four. Three stars on my scale means that I do recommend it for people who are interested in this kind of movie. Not much more beyond that. If you're a fan of the Transformers series, I certainly do encourage you to catch Bumblebee. If you're somebody who likes the Transformers, you may have been disappointed with all of the Michael Bay films. This gives you a reason to come back to the series, to give it another shot. 
you can pretty much ignore, as far as I'm concerned, all of those Michael Bay films, if you so choose, because this looks like it's going to kind of reestablish the mythos. Just catch Bumblebee, and I think you'll come away liking it. Maybe even loving it if you're a hardcore fan. For people who never really got the Transformers films altogether, don't get any of the mythos. Don't get all of these talking robots and their weird personalities or why they speak English or really are looking for a lot of logic, I think, into the world building. You're not going to get that here, though. You may find it cute in certain respects, but it may miss you altogether. So three stars, I think, is the best I can give Bumblebee. If you have your own thoughts on Bumblebee, I do encourage you to write to me. You can find my contact information on my website. That's at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. And until next time, thank you so much for listening, and please enjoy your time anytime you get to go to the movies. <laughs>